the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Let Us Reason uh, on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and uh, I'm so excited uh, to uh, uh, continue uh, with you today the topic that we've started a couple of weeks uh, ago related to do Muslims and Christians worship the same God. And I'm even more excited to uh, let you know that uh, our dear brother Fred Farouk uh, has joined us again uh, for uh, this week and uh, next week as well. And uh, we will continue, of course, this exciting discussion and uh, bring in his background, which is similar to mine, coming from a Muslim background. Uh, so the point of view of how we, as former Muslims, look at this topic um, is, in my view, very uh, vital. Uh, well, Brother Farouk, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, Fred, uh, how are you doing? And thank you so much for uh, joining us. Great. Thank you. It's good being with you again. Uh, thank you, brother. I know last time we were going through a series of uh, questions related to the topic, which is uh, do uh, Muslims and Christians worship the same God? And uh, you kindly also alluded to your uh, dissertation, uh, the PhD dissertation, and uh, mentioned something related to the identity of Muslims, which I would like to explore that a little bit further um, uh, later today. But uh, before we do that, um, there is maybe a couple of more questions I still would like to ask related to uh, the main topic, uh, which is do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? So uh, here is one of those questions. Um, uh, from a, th uh, a theocentric, uh, the view on, of God himself here, um, how can we look at the issue of who God is from a Christian standpoint and from a Muslim standpoint? In other words, from Christianity or from Islam? Excellent question, and part of the way that this controversy came up is the way that this, this question is phrased. Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? Probably the better way of phrasing the question is, is the God described by the Quran the same as the God described by the Bible? Because in the responses to this question, some people ask, well, which Muslims are you talking about, or which Christians are you talking about, or what exactly does the word worship mean? And so there was some confusion on the part of the Christian respondents to this question that uh, surrounded the issue at Wheaton College. Um, and it shows that they were looking at, well, what kind of Christians, what kind of Muslims, what does worship mean? But really, the question really becomes, in the, um, the foundational documents of Islam and Christianity, and Christianity, of course, it's the Bible, and in Islam it would be the Quran, and also the Hadith, 
uh, of Muhammad and as, as well as the Sira and the life of Muhammad and, and how he uh, related to uh, his theology, so to speak, as it developed. But the, the, the key thing here, uh, and uh, if I can make a kind of a summary statement, it's that Muslims and Christians are, you know, similar in that we are all fallen sinners. Even if you're born into a Christian family, we're fallen sinners. The, uh, so there is a lot of commonality between people, whether they be Muslims or Christians, but it doesn't mean that they have a commonality of the belief system. So in other words, you could say all people are created equal, but not all religions are created equal. And I think uh, in the backdrop to this discussion, people want better relations between Muslims and Christians, and they know there's been fighting, and they know about the Crusades and colonialism and things, and current uh, fighting in the Middle East, and they want better relations. But my suggestion is not to try to get better relations between Muslims and Christians, if this is indeed a goal, by making the God of the Bible out to be the same as the God of the Quran, because in the Bible, God loves all people unconditionally. I mean, this is, this is a foundational uh, biblical belief, and he loved people so much unconditionally that he came here to earth to rescue people from their sins. But in, in Islam, you know, another summary statement is that God loves people, or he, they wouldn't say loves people because that's much of a personal uh, relationship, but that God would extend his mercy to people on a conditional basis. And so even the Quran uh, in Surah 3, verse 32 says, Allah love not, he loveth not the kafirun, the disbelievers. In that same passage, uh, verse 57 in Surah Al-Imran, uh, Allah loveth not those who do wrong. In Al-Araf, the seventh surah, Allah loveth not those who waste. Al-Musrifin. So these kind of statements, if we say that Allah doesn't love those who do wrong, well, <laughs> everybody in the world does wrong. So uh, we're talking about not the same deity that the Bible describes. And uh, this is a very, uh, I think, Anyone who would pick up the Bible and anyone who would pick up the Quran and read the two in an open-minded fashion would understand that these are not uh, pointing to the same deity. Amen, brother. And uh, as you mentioned, um, the God of the Bible uh, is a God who loves unconditionally. In fact, one of the ways we can um, relate to him and describe him is that he is a redeemer. And the reason why God is a redeemer, obviously he is redeeming people from something. And what is this something? As you mentioned, uh, doing wrong, uh, uh, always sinning. You know, that's uh, our nature. Even Muslims, as you know, brother, uh, they're very honest with themselves and with anybody. And they'll say, I know I'm not a good person, uh, but reliance on the good works system is what gives them the impression that they can attain or reach assurance of salvation, which is unfortunate. The fact that we're all sinners and we all wrong against God and against others, uh, that in and of itself uh, tells a Muslim person that attaining this assurance is virtually impossible. I mean, it's just something that you're going to have to, de by faith, uh, depend on the fact that God may have mercy on you when, in fact, God have already revealed his grace and mercy to us when he came in the person of Christ. So this is, um, it's always been uh, uh, the central point, uh, you know, for me, myself, when I was seeking, 
and in the life of many that I interviewed or even met with who are former Muslims, that the character of God and what he has done for us has been an eye-opener. Now, brother, um, uh, you know, now I want to dive into um, uh, the uh, next topic that we can uh, literally tie uh, to this particular interesting uh, discussion, which is, uh, do we worship the same God? Now, I, earlier in, uh, in my show last year, I invested enough time uh, uh, to talk about an approach uh, you and I are familiar with, known as the insider movement. And, um, you know, in a nutshell, and I'm going to, of course, turn the mic over to you to explore it further, but in a nutshell, I want to tell my listeners uh, who maybe uh, uh, never really uh, heard this phrase before uh, or uh, were not aware of the fact that I discuss uh, these topics, um, insider movement, in, in a nutshell, is that you would tell a Muslim person, in this case, that you can stay... Uh, within the Islamic community, and uh, don't call yourself a Christian, and rather call yourself a follower of Isa, and Isa is the Islamic name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you're the follower of Jesus, but in an Islamic form, and it goes as far as uh, sometimes uh, considering Islam to be a culture, not a religion, and even convincing those followers to uh, uh, act in an Islamic way, going to the mosque, even reciting the Islamic creed, and in some areas which I myself also uh, explored and investigated and even attended conferences that confirm this, elevating the Quran to a status equal to the Bible, and in one troubling also article that I read, making Muhammad possibly a prophet equal to those of the Old Testament. Now, you've invested years writing, of course, a dissertation for your Ph.D. on the identity of Muslims, and just from the title itself, I can tell that probably the insider movement was the center of your research. Am I on the right track? Yes, absolutely, Al. The, the insider movement has had, you know, it's, it's come up, it's flown under the radar, as, as you mentioned, your, your listeners may not have heard of it, and I think that's partly... On the, uh, intentional on the on the uh, on behalf of those who have been promoting insider movements, it's been a completely Western missionary experiment. Really, it's been an experiment, and uh, largely done without the advice or the consent of uh, Middle Easterners or Muslim background people from any country. And it's manifested itself in a few controversies. One is the uh, producing Bibles that take out the word father or son, for example, uh, that's called Muslim idiom translations. It's become a big scandal over the last several years. And currently, uh, there, there's a, um, a component re relating to the same God, which is maybe it's not completely related to the insider movement, but I would suggest there's a very high degree of overlap between people that would say that uh, Islam and the Bible or Islam and Christianity uh, revere the same God, uh, and those who would also promote insider movements. I looked at it, as you mentioned, from the point of view of identity, because this is a very important uh, concept, and part of the definition that insider movement advocates stated is that for a movement to be considered an insider movement, people must retain the religious identity of their birth community. So part of uh, 
if something is to be considered an insider movement, they would have to be Muslims that continue to be considering themselves Muslims and also be viewed by others around them as some kind of Muslim. And so this is the identity question. And I, I looked at this from the point of view of Muslim background people, both those who had become Christians and those who are still just, you know, you could say normal Muslims, traditional Muslims. Yes, I, I like uh, um, how you're um, addressing this, because uh, certainly um, uh, on the surface, uh, it may appear as if it's a different thing, not related to the topic of worshiping the same God. But really, when you look at the inside of movement at a complete package uh, within the Muslim context or Islamic context, uh, you have to really conclude that there is a push here uh, for the fact that the God of Islam is indeed the God of the Bible. And this is really troubling uh, to me, uh, Brother Fred, simply because um, you and I know the Quran does teach us as Muslims that we worship the same God of the Bible. But later, uh, as former Muslims now, believers in Christ, we discover that absolutely not. I mean, it's it's impossible to say that the God of the Quran is the God of the Bible because then there is some fundamental issues related to his character and his nature that have drastically changed. And obviously, this, uh, this is an attack, an insult on God himself. So we cannot really um, uh, say it this way. Now, a Muslim may view it this way. Sure, I understand why a Muslim thinks the God of the Bible is the God of Islam. But when we as missionaries among Muslims begin to promote things like this, uh, here is the danger, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that we are telling the Muslim person you're safe, you're fine, you're on the right track, you can even be literally saved through the track that you are taking. Am I correct? Yes, and uh, I have a missionary friend who's a, who's a real good missiologist, and he was explaining to this pastor, who was uh, another friend of ours, mutual friend, who didn't speak English that well, about uh, you know this insider movement and this this Muslim background pastor who's a leader and a very mature believer was kind of trying having a hard to follow it and he said you know so my my friend he said well just think of insider movement as promoting Islam and if you really get down to the core of it because the insider movement model in Muslim context requires people to affirm Muslim identity and retain that Muslim identity. Uh, and maybe they didn't realize this when they started the experiment, these these Christian missionaries. This has happened several decades ago. But as they got further into it, they realized, well, if if a person wants to become a Muslim, and if you go to the local mosque, if you're a Christian or Jewish or atheist, and you say, you know, I'd like to become a Muslim, the people will, of course, tell you there that you have to declare the Shahada, that there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And so uh, the the invariable ingredient for retaining Muslim identity is affirming Muhammad as a prophet, and which is okay. And, you know, we're all from families where all our family members uh, declare shahada, and we were raised to do that. The problem becomes is that if we examine what Muhammad said about Jesus, he said some things that were true and some things about God that were true, but on the main topics related to Jesus, the main doctrines of the Christian faith related to Jesus, Muhammad denied them. And and the backdrop is, of course, Muhammad said that people are not sinners, born in a state of fitra, or, or a pattern of purity, which means that they wouldn't need a savior, that it could be salvation by works. And uh, and furthermore, he said Jesus Christ, you know, in, the, in, in Surah,
even though insiders have tried to reinterpret this and many other verses of the Quran, verse uh, chapter 4, verse 157 and 158, this reinterpretation is drastically different from the way Muslims ever understood these verses. And of course, the, the main uh, issue here for Muhammad and his theology was that God could never incarnate himself, according to Surah Ikhlas, number 112, God does not beget, he is not begotten. This was clearly uh, the establishment on the behalf of, on the part of Muhammad in the, you know, 6th century, about 1400 years ago, uh, really 7th century by the time he was in his prophetic career. Uh, he was establishing the Ummah or the Muslim community, and he wanted to make a clear demarcation that people that worshipped Jesus would not be part of the Muslim Ummah. And, you know, that has been the standard of the Muslim Ummah until this point in time, as far as being someone who would be considered a Muslim person. And there's a lot of material on this. And in fact, you know, the unpardonable sin in Islam, as you well know, is, is asserting partners called shirk, asserting any partners, associates to Allah. And this is clearly a doctrine that Muhammad developed to exclude and to actually uh, speak damnation against uh, those who would worship Jesus. So this is the way Islam has been set up. And I think, unfortunately, the insider movement advocates who are Western missionaries, if they had consulted with Muslim background Christians or even many Muslims themselves, they could have informed them on these things. But uh, sadly, it didn't happen. And now we're several decades into a, an experiment that's gone wrong. Yes, sir. Uh, I mean, excellent points, and I just want to um, elaborate a little bit further on what you mentioned. Uh, first, you alluded uh, uh, the fact that this started by uh, Western missionaries, and it's kind of interesting, really, uh, that um, inside of movements, uh, uh, really, uh, main argument is that they don't want Westerners to influence Muslims who are converting, but yet it's a Western method and approach. That's kind of puzzling to me to begin with. And then the other thing also, uh, that somehow uh, those particular promoters, they present themselves as if they are the one who know how to reinterpret the Quran to a Muslim person who knows the Quran or even speaks Arabic. And many times I looked at like methods like the camel, for instance, method. And you look at the verses they use or the seven signs, uh, for instance, where they use seven different verses in a Quran leading you to Christ somehow. You look at the commentators of these verses that date all the way back to Ibn Abbas, who happened to live at the time of Muhammad, and then Qurtubi, Tabari, Ibn Kathir, Zamakhshari, and the list can go on and on and on. I viewed all of these opinions. There isn't a shred of evidence that any Muslim of their caliber ever looked at these verses the way these Westerner insider movement promoters are trying to reinterpret these Quranic passages. So, uh, you know, really it's, it's an attempt, a desperate attempt, if you wish, to elevate the status of the Quran, actually, and to convince themselves as promoters of the insider movement and convince the Muslims that they want to uh, uh, basically uh, lead them to follow Isa, uh, to believe that the Quran has truth in it and therefore... Uh, by using the Quran, they could be saved. Here's what's even more troubling uh, to me. When you assert the Shahada, the creed, something that Muslims obviously do not really think of because it's part of their identity, believing in one Allah and his messenger Muhammad, 
Ask a Muslim, are you a Muslim if you say, I believe in Allah alone, without having to repeat the second clause in that creed, meaning, and Muhammad? And the answer would be emphatically, no, I cannot be a Muslim without asserting Muhammad in the Shahada, which tells me uh, that Muhammad is an agent of their salvation now. And also, here is what's more troubling. You mentioned shirk, associating someone with God. You've already elevated Muhammad to be equal to God because without him, you are not saved. Yes. Yes, I agree with you. So, um, you mentioned um, that if the insider movement promoters would have even asked Muslims, uh, they would have at least received some corrective views about their attempt. So, you... Obviously, uh, the way I understood it, that you've interviewed a number of Muslims, Imam and Muslim background Christians, on the idea of insider movement uh, during your research. What were their, your main findings? The main findings, uh, and I did this with uh, Muslims who had come from 18 different countries. Uh, 20 of them were still Muslims, and 20 of them were Muslim background Christians. Uh, so it, it, it had a very diverse group of people, and I had even women respondents as well. And, uh, and I, I described a scenario in which a Muslim was straying from the faith, first looking at internet websites about Jesus, and then coming to believe that God visited the earth in the form of Jesus. And then uh, the person starts fellowshipping with other people that had the same belief. Didn't even mention missionaries, didn't mention Christians, churches, Christianity, anything like that. And I asked the people, at what point was the person, uh, at, at what point was the person, did they still consider the person a Muslim? So I was dealing with the, the, the question of Muslim identity. And uh, the, the foundational question I asked them, I said, if, um, if the person came to believe that God visited the earth in the form of Jesus, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, is this the same Muslim, uh, same Jesus, pardon me, the same Jesus that they were raised to believe in as a Muslim? And almost unequivocally, um, except for one undecided and one young person who, who seemed to be open to anything, 38 out of the 40 people said, absolutely, this is not the same Jesus that Islam talks about. And, um, and so this is, you know, for us it's kind of what we would call a no-brainer. But unfortunately, like you mentioned, the insider apologists or the insider proponents have tried to blend... Uh, first, uh, the the Bible and the Quran by reinterpreting the Quran in light of the Bible, even though the Quran came after, by by saying that the God of Islam is the same as the God of the Bible, by saying that somehow Jesus in the Quran could be considered somehow Jesus in the Bible, and and I think like you mentioned, it insults the intelligence of of Muslims, not only imams, but to say that if you read the Quran. You could come away with the idea that Muhammad was advancing the idea of the divinity of Jesus, and Jesus as the Savior of the world. This is ridiculous, and I sometimes give people an analogy, and, and that is, if, if I went to an average college campus where people didn't know the Bible well, and I told them, you know, you, I know you've been taught, students, young people, that the Bible promotes belief in God, but I want to show you from the Bible that the Bible actually produces atheism. And because twice in the book of Psalms it says there is no God. Now, of course, the context, if you say this in a church, people will say, well, it says the fool says in his heart there is no God. But if I just clip that part, 
part of the verse out of context, then it may, I say, well, the Bible says in several places there is no God. Mm-hmm. And if I say that Jesus died as an atheist, because Jesus said, one of his last words was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And uh, John's Gospel says, no one has seen God at any time. Uh, so this means must mean there is no God. So I cherry-pick a few verses from the Bible, right. and I say, well, see, the Bible really produces, uh, promotes atheism. Now, every Christian would just laugh and say, you're, you're crazy, man. You've taken a few verses out of context yeah. to mean something completely different from what the book means. Amen. And Fred, you know, we're approaching our, uh, uh, really, the end of the show, and this is uh, where we're going to pick it up next week. Uh, so thank you, brother, for uh, bringing uh, such an important uh, topic here, and definitely we want to uh, continue with it next week. So uh, to my listeners, thanks again for listening to Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and with me here, our dear brother, uh, Dr. Uh, Fred Farouk who will join me again next week to talk about the insider movement and its implication uh, as it relates to uh, are we worshiping the same God. Uh, Until we meet again, have a blessed week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.